something about this town when the playoffs roll through, you're driving down Broadway and NATO Parkway and you see all of the Blazer banners everywhere. You go to the Rose Quarter. It's all decked out for playoff gear. It's just amazing. And it's it's like Christmas for a week or however long the playoffs go. And Let's go! All right, everybody, welcome to the 19th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I'm Dustin, live from Rip City, and I got my man, Sage, just chilling here, late night podcasting. My computer decided to uh, stop working altogether, so rest in peace to my computer. We had a fantastic episode with Kim Thrasher, but we have to get this podcast out to the people, and my computer was not really... Willing to do that, so we're re-recording a new one. So this is basically like our 20th episode, but in actuality, it's our 19th. But Sage, where else would you rather be on a Monday night at 10.45 p.m. than talking Trailblazers basketball? Very true, very true. I mean, even though we're re-recording this, it's still like I get to come home and talk hoops for an hour with one of my best friends in the entire world about one of my favorite topics ever. So, you know, life is good. Yeah, definitely. If doing redoing a podcast is the worst thing that's happened to me all day, which it isn't my computer recipes to all my music, if this Wait. is one of the worst things of the day, it's fine. Hold up. Are you going to be able to get your music back? I have about 200 gigabytes of music on my external uh, I had 300 on my computer. Is Yeah, but is there a chance of getting it back? I'm hoping so. I got an appointment with the computer people tomorrow. Well, if, I, you ever, if you ever need that, that Kendrick Lamar collection, you know you know who to come see. Your boy's got you covered on that one. I, I'm, I'm afraid that I'm going to lose a lot of like my jazz records and some like Chinese, uh, Chinese jazz records that I wanted to sample. Well, if there's anybody that can, can resurrect your computer, it is the geniuses over at Apple. I mean, yep. they do what they do. They are the Steph Currys, the Damian Lillards of their forte. So I believe your computer is in solid hands. Yep. But, you know, let's, you know, dive into this podcast and look back on the week that was for the Trailblazers. It was actually a pretty, you know, quiet week in Rip City. They had the Lakers and the Hawks on the docket. Handled business against the Lakers, uh, thrashing a 121-103 victory, and unfortunately a defeat at the hands of the Hawks, uh, 98-104. to Let's jump into that Laker game, and frankly, I'm glad it's over. I thought it was a shit show, mm-hmm. and it really was a difficult game for me to watch because it was Kobe's last time in Portland, and all of the Kobe content that was going out and Mike and Mike wouldn't shut up about him, and there were a crap ton of Laker fans in the the building chanting for Kobe. It was just disgusting, and it really uh, overshadowed fantastic performance from the Blazer backcourt. It overshadowed Portland's eighth straight victory over the Lakers, and this was actually the first time in franchise history that the Trailblazers have swept the, the season series in consecutive years from the Lakers, but you would have never known that from watching the game. 
It was Kobe, 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 and I don't give a bleep about Kobe Bryant. I want to know how my Trailblazer's doing. Let's talk about the game. I mean, that's why I don't – I stopped watching the Blazers broadcasts midway through the the season. I was just like, oh, they're going to talk about opposing players, stupid haircuts. Mike Rice will dab a few times. I don't want to hear about some 70-year-old dude – Dabbing. I'd much rather just listen to my music. I know what's happening. It's not like I need the extra, oh, they're running a pick and roll right here type of thing. So I, I just stop listening to all of the clutter unless it's Joel Myers or Hubie. And you know, I will say this. I do like Mike and Mike. I think they do a fantastic job. Uh, I get a lot of information from both of them, but you're right. The haircuts can go... I was just really disappointed how much they talked about Kobe, especially Rice. Uh, maybe they were told they had to do it, and I wouldn't put it past that happening either. But regardless, it was just not a fun game to really watch or listen to. Did you pay attention 100% to the game? Because there were times where I was on my phone when the Blazers were just streaking and go, uh, and the Lakers just had no answer. You know, I tried. I watched the game as much as I could, but it was between me and Olga just being like, Kobe, we don't give a crap about you. Quit showing him. On, like, it was just, we were just talking back and forth about how much they kept showing him and talking about him. And we were like, we don't care. We came to watch Blazers basketball. Mm-hmm. And if it was bad enough that the arena, as Damian Lillard put it, felt like a neutral site. Terry Stott said there was too many Lakers supporters in there for his liking. And you know what? I, I blame it on the Blazers front office, uh, their ticket management. You jack up the prices for a game, and what do you expect? Blazer fans can't afford to spend $170 for the cheapest tickets when there's 39, 40 other home games to go to. Laker fans, and there are a lot of them because they are a popular team and a lot of people from California have moved up to Oregon. Uh, nothing wrong with that. It's the but they are willing and can sh- shell out that much money for one to two games a year. You know, I bought the value pack. I got 10 games for $200. That's a much better deal than spending $170 on one game to mm. watch the, the worst team in the Western Conference. So a lot of the blame goes to the Blazers themselves. They want more of a home court advantage. They need to lower the ticket prices so the real Blazer fans can't afford it. And I'm not saying the people who were there were not real Blazer fans, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. The average Blazer fan is able to go because you bet your ass I would have went to that game. Mm. I love Blazers-Lakers basketball, but I just wasn't going to pay that type of a premium just because it was Kobe's last game. Well, when I wasn't a major fan of this team and I was just a Hornets fan, I would just just chill, watch the games on the TV, but really go all out for those Hornet games. It's just... Easy math. If you're a fan of another team, you go to those two games or that one game of the year and should go all out. So I, I kind of get the inflated prices, but it shouldn't be that overinflated. Exactly. And we're also talking about trying to make money for the richest owner in professional basketball. And I understand it is a business, but at the same time, it is a hobby to Paul Allen. And I really don't think he could care less if he makes $5 or a million dollars or loses a million dollars. Or whatever, it's really chump change in the grand scheme of things for Mr. Allen. And I thank him for being the owner. He's a fantastic owner, but we don't really need to be straddling the, you know, the red and the black in terms of the finances because in the end, to him, it, it doesn't make a damn difference. But enough about that vent, that rant. 
let's talk about Noah Vonley. I mean, Terry Stotts, maybe he listened to this podcast, but he finally gave our guy some extended minutes. Vonley produced in those in that extended run. He had a career high 11 points on an efficient 5 of 6 shooting. He had 6 boards, 3 steals in 25 minutes. He was a plus 20 overall. And really, when he was in the game, the Blazers were clicking. His defense is infectious. He just moves his feet so well. He's able to stick with the guards in the perimeter. And he's starting to show that athleticism. He had that big poster jam. And Sage, I'm loving what I'm seeing from the youngster. I, I, when he's in, I just feel more secure with what the team is doing. I mean, when Myers comes in, like, I've looked at the real plus minus, and he's a minus player. Like, his defense is so bad that his offensive outburst does not even break even. And I looked at Noah, and he's a plus defender and a plus offensive player. So it's just, it kind of annoys me to see Myers in so much if it's not to showcase him. If it's to showcase him, fine. I, I want him and all the players that we talk about to get their time to shine so they could be on another team. But man, it is just, I, I feel despair when he comes in and it's not the perfect matchup. The, if the Gasol brother or one of those plotting centers is not in, it feels like it's just, we're going to get taken advantage of on the offensive end because of his awful defense. And, you know, all those, you make a lot of valid points, but really I thought the star of the show was Portland's backcourt. You look at Dame, who goes nuclear on the Lakers, 36 points on 14 of 19 from the field, 5 of 8 from downtown, he had 5 dimes, he played just 29 minutes. And it was ho-hum, it was ho-hum on it all the broadcasts. The dude could have got 50 easy, and if he really wanted to do something dirty to Kobe, could have... Could have challenged for 82. I'm not saying he would have got it, but if he was in that mode, locked and loaded for, you know, you give him an extra 15 minutes out there, probably not 82, but he's, he's pushing 50, 60 because he just, he, he just looked like he was locked in and it was effortless. The Laker guards play terrible defense. The Laker bigs just, you know, they opened up the paint like the Red Sea and said, hey, come score right in on us. And then you've got his backcourt mate, C.J. McCollum, who's, you know, getting in on the action too. 28 points, 12 of 21 from the field, 50% from three, in just 33 minutes as well. So those two, I mean, I'm, I'm, the Lakers are probably glad this was just a three-game season series because mm-hmm. those two have been just absolute Laker killers this season. Over the three games, Dame has averages of 31.7 points on 50 50- shooting from the field, 45% from three, 8.3 assists, and 3.7 rebounds. McCollum's, while a little bit lower, still just absolutely fantastic. 25 points, 59% shooting from the field, and an incredible 55% from downtown. You want to talk about what this season means, playoffs, no playoffs, player development, Terry Stotts making adjustments. I want to see if Lillard and McCollum can play together efficiently and effectively throughout the rest of these, what, 39, 38 games uh, as we finish the 2016 season. And games like this are exhibit A that, yes, it can be done. I know the Lakers' defense isn't anything to you know write home about, but, man, when those guys are on, it is a beautiful, beautiful basketball to watch. People rag on the Lakers, and, and of course we do it as well, but when Dwight left, what were they supposed to do? Try and compete? They're doing what they should do with playing awful basketball and trying to gain draft picks. 
if it wasn't the Lakers, we'd be we'd be congratulating them for tanking right, having those veterans for the young guys. If it wasn't Kobe, just the ragging of on them from the national media, it's just crazy. They're doing what they're supposed to do, trying to get those draft picks. They're doing what they're supposed to do, but by all accounts, Byron Scott is not the answer at head oh, coach. No. So that is a huge piece they need to fill. Julius Randle played a, a pretty decent game, but you know, to be honest, I had higher expectations from him coming out of Kentucky. I know this is essentially his rookie year, and D'Angelo just looks like a run-of-the-mill chucker point guard. I know yeah. he had 21 uh, against the Blazers, but he just he doesn't look like that number two pick that's just going to revolutionize the position. So, yeah, they're they're tanking. However, sooner or later they're going to have to give up that draft pick that's, you know, it's been passed around it's finally to Philadelphia. So, you're going to lose a top 3 pick sooner or later if they don't get Simmons or Ingram this year. You know, is a core of Randall, Russell and what Jalen Brown is that really scaring anybody? No. No. And they've also got Jordan Clarkson as a restricted free agent. I know a lot of teams are going to put big money in, in onto his plate. So, you know, they've got a lot of questions to answer. Oh, definitely. The plan isn't bad. It's just By- they're tanking. And Byron Scott's just a laughing stock because he is just an awful coach. Chris Paul and, really made his career in Jason Kidd. Oh, completely agree. And you go back to the Lakers – they're not that free agent destination they once were. Mm-hmm. Whether it's not wanting to play with Kobe Bryant or just being a trash team for the past three or four years, nobody's going over there. They have to show that they can start winning and putting out a you know a good product on the floor before guys are going to you know sign up to play in the purple and gold. Just saying, hey, we're the Lakers. That's not good enough anymore. No. These players are smart. Uh, social media makes it so much easier for guys in smaller markets to get their own shine. So it's not like they have to go to Los Angeles to get their publicity, which is which is brilliant. I love it. I love it. It gives the small market teams a little bit more of an even playing field. And anytime the Lakers are terrible, it's honestly, it makes, it makes my heart smile. Yeah. They, could be, they could be in the gutter for the rest of my lives, and I would be completely okay with that. I mean, it's just a fun, easy way to rag on a team that's bad. But. And nothing makes my skin crawl more than Kobe Bryant and the Los Angeles Lakers. So let's leave the Lakers there. No more Laker talk. Portland sweeps the season series, beat LA. That's how we roll in Rip City. Unfortunately, the Blazers could not pull out an important victory over the Atlanta Hawks. It was a really weird game, Sage. I was there in attendance with Olga and something struck me very odd. Stotts pulled Plumley and Von Ley earlier than usual. And I, I noted it down. It was at the 603 mark. And we were at 15 to 10. I don't know if it was because they got taken out or what, but whatever it was, the chemistry was tinkered with and not in a good way. Portland went on to miss their last nine shots of the first quarter. And I, I even looked at it on the play-by-play going into the second quarter. It, in total, Portland went one of their next 17 shots. And the Hawks probably played really well, right? The Hawks played well. They got the looks that they wanted. And to be honest, if you go 1 of 17, even if you're playing the Sixers, they're going to hit maybe Mm. 4 or 5 of those shots. So they're going to make up 10 points on you. And it was a deficit that Portland could never really come back from. They got the lead later on in the game, but they were always fighting uphill for the majority of the game. And 
his rotations are just maddening. Sage, are, do you feel the same way? Oh, it, 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 it's one of my biggest gripes about him, and I've been low-key just hating on it, hating on a lot of things he's been doing. So, I, I get it. If you were an optimist, you'd say he's d- doing the Hubie Brown approach, making all get, making sure everyone plays so everyone's rested in the fourth quarter. But with this team, we don't have the Hubie Brown type of roster. We have a bunch of young guys that we need to see if they have anything. Not, we're going to give this guy 24 and this guy 24. We need to see what each player has. And I, I don't get taking two plus defenders out and get putting in the worst post, one of the worst post defenders in Myers Leonard in so early. The offense doesn't work well with Myers and Ed. It, it, it it's it's annoying and frustrating to watch the rotations and, quite frankly, the defense. And I've got to give you a lot of credit because when we did this podcast last week with our friend Dane, we asked who the X Factor was. You correctly called out who? Kent Bazemore. And the Bays, he was clutch. He had 23 points, five boards, five assists, really filled up that stat sheet. And he was a part of a front court trio with Al Horford, who had 16 and 8, and Paul Millsap, who had 23 and 9, that really just pounded Portland and did really whatever they wanted to the Blazers in that fourth quarter. As you mentioned, Portland went small, and I don't know why you go small when a team has that type of a front court. We did it earlier in the month against the Memphis Grizzlies. You do not go small against Randolph and Gasol. It's just asinine, and I don't know why he's doing it, but we got killed in the free throw line. We went 7 of 11. The Hawks went 16 of 23. There's nine points at the line you lost. And when the Blazers aren't hitting from downtown, which they weren't, they were just 9 of 31, and you've got the Hawks who are getting open looks because they're able to dribble penetration into the paint and you're so small that you have to help out, leaving a shooter open. They go 10 of 24. I mean, that's your game right there, the three-point line and the free-throw line. And Portland, they just weren't shooting the ball well enough to, I would say, not verify, but I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but... Um, it's, it's a late night podcast. They should not have gone small, bottom line. I mean, there's a lot of talk about small ball basketball in Portland by almost everyone in the media. And I said this week two or three of our podcast, the free agency hall that we had was a bunch of traditional players. Mason Plumley, Ed Davis, they are very traditional basketball players in the sense that they have a defined role. And in my opinion, to do proper small ball, you have to have guards and wings that are significantly better than the post players that we have. And for us, that isn't true because Mason, Ed Davis, Noah Vonley are quality, quality bigs. And even Myers Leonard in certain matchups can be a plus player. Going small is the new thing, and I get it. I mean, the Warriors go small. There's a lot of teams that go small. But we don't have the roster to go small. And especially when there's bigs like the Grizzlies, the Hawks. We can't go small because we can't get the rebounds. I mean, we saw that with the Miami Heat against the Spurs and a few years ago in the playoffs. Pop took the bigs out and they couldn't get the rebound and it led to the Heat winning the championship. It has to be matchup dependent for small ball. And when the team that you're playing against isn't a new age team you got you got to just play the bigs especially because we have so many good ones 
And I completely agree. The strength of this team is the backcourt, but it's you, also ha- you also have to hand it to the, the frontcourt, the, 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 the posts. You've got Davis, Leonard, Vonley, and Plumley, who have all produced extremely well when they've got time this year. And as much as I like Chief, the small forward has been our, our weakest position with he and Harkless. And by going small, you're essentially putting more of that small forward position on the court and taking away from the bigs. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I don't really like it. <sighs> Especially when we depend so much on the guards. Damien's a negative three defender, and CJ's a negative two defender, like in plus minus. So that that's putting a lot of stress on the, the interior defense. And when you have Myers in, that's basically easy buckets. It's penetration. We've seen guards penetrate us so easily this year. It's ridiculous. And when you look at, like you said, we put a lot of stress on our guards and we put a lot on their shoulders. McCollum had it locked and loaded. I mean, he had 28 points on 12 of 23 shooting. However, Lillard didn't. He had 18 points, but it took him 22 shots. He only made eight of those attempts. So when you have Dame struggling like that... It puts a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure on CJ and you're taking out a big who could produce to go small. It's just a recipe for a loss, and that's what happened. And I really hope Stotts just knocks it off. And Obviously, he knows more basketball than us. I am not saying he doesn't. he's not intelligent, but his rotations and the decisions he's making sometimes are head-scratchers, and I would like to see him make more adjustments on the fly and not be so stubborn the rest of the season. But really, enough of the Hawks game. What I thought was really cool was the Blazers unveiled their new license plate. Did you get a chance to see it? Yeah, it was fly guy etiquette to the maximum. I mean, the only negative I had on it was it had the, the gray and red pinwheel. I'm all about that that black and red or white and red uh, logo. If they would have retroed it and tilted it upwards, that would have been just A+. plus. Regardless, just take my money. 40 bucks. It's worth it. I even thought about maybe getting a, a custom holy backboard, you know. Man, if you do that, I'm going to have to try and top you with something. Oh, so you, you, Mr. Pelican fan, going to get a Blazers license plate? My friends give me so much crap for rooting for both teams so hard. and it, it, It's unbelievably difficult for me to choose a team. It really is. I, I love the Blazers. I love the fans. Like, the people that I interact with on Twitter and Facebook and everything are just so... Passionate. I was going to say charming, too, but... Both, yeah. It's tough. It's infectious. Once you get that Rip City... The Rip City fever, man. Especially when the team is going. I mean, even when we just made the playoffs Dame's second year and beat the Rockets, it was crazy. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's just a first-round victory, and you still have a couple more to go. I mean, I could tell you, even in Albany, back when I was in high school and we were making those runs against the, the Spurs and the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals, like it was hyped. Mm-hmm. Front page of the Oregonian on probably a daily basis, and I could only imagine what it was like in the early 90s. I was just a wee lad who mm-hmm. remembers things here and there, but I really wish I was a little bit older sometimes and I could have really taken all of that experience in. It's going to be mayhem the next time they make a deep playoff run. I mean, you look at Golden State and what the Bay Area shows for the Warriors, it's just exactly like that for the Blazers. Maybe more just because we only have the Blazers. They have the Niners, the Raiders, the, the Giants, A's, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
we Blazers. I mean, this is a Blazers town. I mean, Timbers are cool too, but this is a basketball town who loves the Trailblazers through and through. Could you? All right, because I've been a Hornets fan a long time. When we had Chris Paul, we didn't have a practice facility. We did. They didn't put the money in it to develop the fan base, so it's just starting out. But with the Blazers, it's so established. It's just. The, the the kindness of people being allowing me to do a podcast about the Blazers when they weren't my team growing up. It's just it's fantastic to be involved with people like that. Of course there's the the, the, the bad fans that tell me New Orleans should have been destroyed in Hurricane Katrina. But there's so many more good fans that just tell them to shut up or talk about like what D and three small forward we want for the future. Stuff like that. You know, anyone who makes a Hurricane Katrina reference like that needs to get their fandom revoked in a hot second. So, you know, screw you to whoever you were that made that remark. I hope you were ashamed of yourself and have asked for forgiveness because that is a low, low blow. And I and I was on a date that night. That's just not a good night. I think that was a night Dane hit that shot. Over oh, Rino. God. If we ever have Damian Lillard on that play, I'm go- on this podcast, I'm going to describe that play perfectly. And tell him I was on a date just to make him feel bad for what he did to me. You know he's just going <laughs> to smile and grin at you. Which is fine. I just want him to know he ruined my night. And I guess that's a part of the reason why I am excited about winning. Yes, not making the playoffs gives us our draft pick, and that would be exciting as well. But there's something about this town when the playoffs roll through, you're driving down Broadway and NATO Parkway, and you see all of the Blazer banners everywhere. You go to the Rose Quarter. It's all decked out for playoff gear. It's just amazing. And it's it's like Christmas for a week or however long the playoffs go. And, you know, you look tonight and the Warriors just completely obliterated and abused the San Antonio Spurs. And it could be a bloodbath for the Blazers. I'm very well aware of that. But it's still <laughs> that thought of what if. You know, the eternal optimist in my in my blazer hearts, like, what if that happened? If why the blazer, can't it be us? Yeah, why can't it be us? Just that one time, you know, we were lucky enough to win the draft lottery in 07. You know, we were lucky enough to draft Damian Lillard. Uh, Brandon Roy and Dame hit those shots. You know, good things can happen to us. Why yeah. not this time? You know, it's a very small percentage, but it's just that hope. And I think that's what being a sports fan is all about. Mm-hmm. You have to have some hope. I mean, you can't just be jaded and pessimistic all, all the time. You know, I definitely have those moments, but on this podcast, even. <laughs> Oh, podcast on texts, phone calls uh, in conversation. It happens. And there are a lot of woe is me moments, but there are also a lot of, you know, this could be us. Mm-hmm. Why not? Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm excited. And, you know, believe it or not, Sage, this upcoming game against the Sacramento Kings could you know, be for the eighth seed at this point in time. I know there's still plenty of basketball to be played, but the Kings, they dropped a double overtime thriller to a depleted, depleted Charlotte Hornet team, 129-128. How in the world, though, are the Blazers going to even contain Boogie Cousins? He is playing unbelievably doing, well. He had a career high the last game against the Pacers. He had 48 points. And I believe, uh, what was it? 13 rebounds. He follows that up tonight. I was working late all night. I didn't really have my phone in front of me. I know. I, I sent you mad texts. You sent me a text. I look at his stat line and my jaw just dropped. 56. Mm-hmm. 
56 points on 21 of 30 shooting. He got to the line 16 times, 12 boards, 4 assists. Mm -hmm. That is a man-child. I see him do the Mason Plumlee, get the rebound, and just he just goes to the hoop. I saw... Oh, Stefan Hawes just try and take a charge and I Spencer? Felt, Spencer, thank you. And I just felt so awful for him. Cause that that man is a big dude and I don't think he cares about your personal safety when he's dribbling down the lane. He definitely does not and I calculated the numbers before tonight's game. So if you look at Cousins, his last ten games, thirty two point five points. 14.2 rebounds, 49% shooting, you know, three assists, one block, two steals. Absolutely playing at an, not an all-star level, at an all-NBA level right now. Yeah, he and has that, to be the best big in the league. Hands down, he's the best mm-hmm. big in the league. And that's before he just went off for 56. So those numbers are going to go up even further. In DraftKings and FanDuel, you know that they're priced out. Mm-hmm. Today, I, w- I looked at it and I was like, oh, I got to put Boogie in here because of the matchup. He's Did you a, get him? Oh yeah, he is okay. as expensive as Stephen Curry right now. That just modern, like that's a re- very reactive thing. The DFS to be as expensive as Stephen Curry, the MVP by far. He is having a fantastic 2016. You know he really is, and I think what is, you know, beating that drum for him is he's moved over to power forward mm-hmm. where Willie Cauley Stein. Who up prior to tonight, they, they were five and zero with him in the starting lineup. They moved to five and one. But it was Collie Stein who he didn't even play. He played in just one game in December. He had he's racked up fourteen DMPs, but he's been a spark plug for that that roster. And you know, he's played over half the game and he's giving them eight points, nine boards on fifty five percent shooting. He's getting his block and his steal game like he's known for. But I think he's really helping Cousins play the position that he's wanted to play all along, which is power forward. And I don't think it's a coincidence. I think they're going to keep continuing to see big numbers out of Cousins as long as Collie Stein is in that starting lineup. And I know he's not going to win Rookie of the Year, but there were a lot of people questioning that draft pick. You know, does he really love basketball? Are his ankles, you know, are they made out of glass? Um, is he going to hold up? Well, for now, it's looking like a really damn good pick. People have been rumoring that the Kings want a stretch four. Why would you want to stretch for when you told Boogie in the offseason, hey, we're going to have you shoot threes. We want you to be more creative on offense. Then why would you want to stretch for that does the same things only a little better? Like, that doesn't make sense that people want that to happen. Why would you tell, why would you tell Boogie all these things then just go back into the post once we get this stretch for? It's ridiculous. Exactly. You want an inside-outside presence. Boogie can do whatever he wants. Willie Cauley-Stein will really be the garbage man and clean up all of the And the they mess have Costa. And they have Kufus. So it's exactly. like... I feel really sorry for those power forwards in the league that have to guard them. That, like, they're going to have to have some really big guys to be able to contain the Kings. They could be a very dangerous team in the playoffs. Oh, I mean, especially they got Rudy Gay back. He was questionable for this well, game. He uh, hurt his eye, so he'll oh. be out this game, I'm assuming. He, he had a left heel injury, so he, I assumed that's healed, but you said he got injured? Yeah, uh, it, it, like he couldn't see from one of the his eyes, so I, I mean, think he's doubtful for the game tomorrow. That's a big break for the Trailblazers. We all know Rudy Gay can put up 40 points on this 
this team, you know, in the bat of an eye. And I guess Portland has to be looking pretty favorable in this matchup mm. only because if Gay can't play, the Kings had to play two overtimes and they probably are still flying currently into uh, PDX right now. So they'll get in really early in the morning. Portland, I think they, they've, they've been off since Saturday. They didn't really have to play very hard to, against the Lakers. They need to run and gun, make the Kings work on defense. The Kings allow over 107 points per game. Mm-hmm. That is the worst in the NBA. So while you run and gun, you also want to make sure you're taking quality shots off of good ball movement. Again, make them play defense for 10 to 15 seconds. They will get tired. They will stop wanting to play defense. And I'd love to see whomever Boogie is guarding just do a lot of pick and rolls, pick and pops, make him move on defense. But the Kings are the fastest team according to pace. So maybe they'll, I think they'll be super tired. So running and gunning might be good, but they should be used to this. Yeah, uh, of course. And I really think this X factor is going to come down to the Kings front court versus the Blazers backcourt. Mm-hmm. The Kings do a lot of work in the paint. They're the second best team in the NBA at getting points in the paint, nearly 49 a night. Blazers actually do a really good job of not allowing points in the paint. They only allow 39, which is fourth best. However, Portland's got that strong backcourt, and they did win the last matchup in Sacramento on December 27th, 98-94. If you remember correctly, there was no Damian Lillard for that game, and it was C.J. McCollum with the near triple-double. Mm-hmm. I mean, what did he have? He had 35, 11, and 9. I mean, he was the catalyst of that game. He was our engine. He was our conductor. He said, hop on. We went, took that game. We are going to need another solid performance from our backcourt because, quite frankly, in the past two home games against the Hawks and the Lakers, we have not gotten any production really out of Crabb or Leonard or at Davis. Uh, Henderson's been pretty solid, but our bench has scoring has really dropped off these past two games. It's going to take a team effort to beat this Sacramento team. Especially because of Boogie. I mean, how would you guard him? Would you send that double from yes, whomever? Yes. Yeah. Look at the tape when the Blazers played the Kings. Mo Harkless did a fantastic job of just doubling when he didn't think was coming, you know, being a pest. And then I swear three or four Blazers would just swarm him in the paint. They made life a living nightmare for him. And that's what you have to do. You have to take great players out of their comfort zones. If he passes the ball and Rondo's hitting jump shots or Ben McLemore, so be it. But you don't want this guy shooting that many times that close to the paint. We cannot let Noah or Mason go one-on-one against him. It just wouldn't be a fair fight. What would you tell Harkless to improve on in the offseason? He just needs playing time. I think he needs to get a consistent three-point shot. Exactly. He was really shooting it so well at the beginning of the season. Looks like he's aiming it a little bit now. And it's also tough because he's only taking maybe one attempt, feels like, per game now. And if that doesn't go and he's like, oh, I'm, I shouldn't shoot anymore. So that's tough. Hopefully he can just get a couple to drop. But a lot of it, I think, is consistent playing time. When you know you're going to play and you can take more than one shot, it's a lot more relaxing when you're out on the court. Mm. When you go in for two or three minutes at a time, you know, it's a little bit tough. Mm-hmm. You get tight. You start overthinking things. You do things that are not normal. But I think he's going to play a big game against the Kings just like he did back on the 27th of December. Sage, who is your X Factor? It's got to be Boogie Cousins. But I think we need to watch out for Omer Caspi because if Gay is out, 
he's going to play like 40 minutes. And he he's having a really good year this year, hitting threes at a really respectable clip, doing a lot of the dirty things that Rudy Gay and Ben McLemore don't want to do. So he's the guy I'm kind of scared of, It secondarily to uh, Boogie. Yeah, and I think one more thing about this game. If the Kings are really that tired and Portland is that refreshed, we need to win this hustle board. Mm-hmm. You know, blocks, steals, and assists. The Blazers are amazing on the offensive glass. 12 a game, third best. 15 second chance points, third best. They can outwork the Kings even if they're bigger than the Blazers. It, it'll, this game will come down to really who wants it more. If the Blazers are serious about the playoffs, and right now they're 20 and 26. The Sacramento Kings are 20 and 24. They must have this game. There's a lot of people say there's no such thing as a must game on January 26th of 2016. I think this is a must game. The Blazers need to send a message that says, hey, we're going to be fighting for the spot for a long time, and they need to get it done. Mm-hmm. They need to start beating quality opponents. They're really good at beating up on the Lakers of the world, but... You know, outside of that win against OKC, you know they've been taking a lot of losses against uh, quality opponents. And don't look at the Kings' record and just you know write them off. They are a very talented team. Portland needs this victory. With all that said, are you going win or loss, Sage? Well, last podcast I said we'd lose, but after watching how like how much t- of playing time Marcus has had, I'm going Blazers win. It would be such a disaster if we happen to lose this game because of all the things in our favor right now. The rest, the comfort from being home. We need this win. That we do. I'm going to go win as well. I'll be in attendance with Olga. I just have a good feeling about this one. I think our boys are going to come to play. They look at the standings every day. They know what's in front of them. If they win, they'll be an eighth, and they're not going to want to give up that spot regardless of what people say. I think it's going to go down to the wire. It's probably going to be like a 110-108 game, but I got my Blazers, and which would be a great three, not three game, two game winning streak heading into the Charlotte Hornets game on Friday, which you, my friend, will be in attendance. Yeah, my second game of the year. I'm ecstatic. I, I, I miss Portland so much, man. So it will be fantastic to actually be in the city. And you know the Hornets, they may be the most beat-up team in the entire NBA. You've got Nicholas Batum, who I hope will play because I want to give him a standing ovation. Uh, but he did not play tonight against the Kings. He's questionable with um, a toe injury. You've got Al Jefferson out with a knee. Kid Gilchrist out with a shoulder. Jeremy Lamb, who was questionable, did not play tonight uh, with a toe injury. And Cody Zeller is out with a shoulder. So you're looking at a really beat-up team in Portland. They, this, they have to just thrash this team. There is, I'm still in shock they were able to beat the Kings, to be perfectly honest. Random random shooters, man. They, they'll kill you, man. And we all know about Troy Daniels. Good mm-hmm. grief. 8 of 11 from 3, 31 points. Or excuse me, 28 points against the Kings. Uh, I've heard that name one too many times. I, I don't want to see... A, a, re, a remake of uh, Game 3 of that 2014 playoffs. So this is a game where Portland, they need to learn from their mistakes. We saw that Philadelphia debacle. You know, did they really take that to heart? We saw they came out and they beat the Wizards, but then they kind of played a little bit flat against against the Hawks. 
So can they look at this opponent and say, this is a team we really need to show them who's boss and not let up. Go from quarter, you know, quarter one to quarter four for full 48, pedal to the metal, full throttle, and you know, we'll be there cheering them on. But it's a game Portland has to have. If for no other reason than we just got smacked the last time we played this team on November 15th. I know it's a completely different roster for the Hornets, but they the score reads 106-94. It really was not that mm. close. Kid Gilchrist was there. I thought they were going to be a defensive team, but when he got hurt, they switched to 100% offense. They've been dealing with so many horrible injuries for that team. I'm still shocked that they win games because of the injuries. Kemba Walker has been playing amazing right now, putting up ridiculous numbers. Jeremy Lin's been really respectable as the starting shooting guard. P.J. Hairston's been all right. We need to bully those bigs. Get all the offensive and defensive rebounds because are you afraid of Frank the Tank and Hawes? Nah, like, we need to outmuscle them in some sort to establish our dominance over those awful post players. Yeah, you know, with, with Zeller, Al Jefferson, with both of them out, Portland really needs to take advantage of Marvin Williams and Spencer Hawes and, you know, Hansborough and Kaminsky, all of those guys. None of those guys are going to put up a resistance. Portland needs to just attack the basket. Kemba Walker and Jeremy Lin are not known for their defense. The Blazer guards need to absolutely feast on this one. And, and you're completely right. I don't know how they've won games either. Before tonight's victory, they were just 4-14 and 14 over their last 18 games. And this is really a game the Trailblazers have to have. But you do, like you said, you have to worry about Kemba Walker. He's kind of the James Harden of point guards. You know, he had a very inefficient shooting night against the Kings tonight. He was just 5-25. of 25, But again, he got to the foul line 15 times. And the Hornets, as a team, they get to the free throw line a lot. They attempt 24 a night. That's 10th. In the NBA, and when they get there, you know their cash, the third best in the league at seventy nine point three percent. So the Blazers, the Blazer guards, they have to do a great job of keeping the Hornet guards, you know Jeremy Lin, Kemba Walker, Troy Daniels, Brian Roberts, all of those, you know that quartet in front of them, and not letting them get into the teeth of the defense. Because while you know we kind of make fun of Spencer Hawes and Frank Kaminsky, those guys can shoot from range. Mm -hmm. You don't want to let them spread the floor and let the guards go to work. So it really starts in the perimeter defense for the Trailblazers. It's it's weird because the Blazers don't defend waterbug quick point guards. We don't guard bi- bigger point guards well. We don't guard point guards with that fast first step. Well, what guards can we guard well? Because it seems like every team has career nights against the Blazers. Is there a matchup in the NBA where... You'd feel all right with Damian or CJ playing defense. Guys against like Rubio and Rondo, guards that can't shoot are really don't give us too too big of scares. It's the ones that can shoot and get to the the middle of the paint, and you know the Gordon Dragic and Banos who are just money for mid range. Blazers will give you a mid range shot any day of the week. So if you can hit that, you could have easily twenty points on you know eight shots. It's so disappointing to watch this team play defense, man. I, I I think that the guards can play offense really well together, but they have to focus on defense. I, I was thinking this the other... Well, today, actually. If we kept CJ, like, what team could you see the Blazers being like? 
Because I was thinking, and this might be a little weird, but go with me. I think we could be the Milwaukee Bucks with Ray Allen and Sam Cassell. Dame will be the Ray Allen type of player. CJ will be the Sam Cassell. We just need to find that big Glenn Big Dog Robinson, who happens to be one of the best college players I've ever seen, because I used to watch tape of him playing at Purdue. I know that's a tough thing to ask for, but man, if we can find that big dog Robinson, we can we can we can make some noise. Yeah, you also got to get your Irvin Johnson down low too. You know, blocking shots, <laughs> yeah. getting those boards. But you know, I don't think Dame's Dame's a great player. Just I think he's a little way too different than Ray. Ray was one of the all-time great catch and shoot off the ball players. So that's that's a little bit tough. But yeah, I mean, they made an Eastern Conference run, so I would definitely be fine with that because, like I said, in 01, they almost made it to the finals. Mm-hmm. They just got beat out by Iverson and the Sixers, I believe, in a, a seven-game series. But back to the Hornets a bit, everybody was so in arms when the Blazers moved Batum, and he started out so hot. And when he had that 36-6, or excuse me, the 33-6-5 and game against us on November 15th, people were just like, oh, crap, we just lost that trade. You know, we got Von Ley, who wasn't playing very well or very much, and Gerald Henderson was injured, and everyone thought it was Jermaine O'Neal or whatever trade went wrong with Blazers. You insert that trade all over again. But Batum, he has came back down to earth. You know, he had a he was he was a borderline All Star. I actually filled out the ballot one time and put him in as the one of those guards. And didn't he win Eastern Conference yeah. Player of the Week too? Yeah. So he was showcasing what he could do. I mean, I'm going to break down month by month what he did. In November, 17.5 points, 43% shooting, 41.4 from three. Fantastic numbers. I mean, that, that's easily all-star. Mm-hmm. December drops down a bit, 15.8 points, 42% shooting, three-point shooting really drops down. It drops down 10% to 31. And now you look in January, I mean, the points just 10 Shooting is all the way down to 36.6, and the three-point has dipped below 30%. And unfortunately, that's what Blazer fans who were advocates of that trade said all along would happen. He would just come back down to earth. And I don't think it is entirely his fault. Mm. He's not a number one option. He's not a number two option. He is a great third option. But when the Hornets get you know Al Jefferson hurt, and they get guys like Cody Zeller and Kid Gilchrist, that just puts too much of the defensive focus on Nicholas Batum, and I just don't think he's he's ready to say, okay, you want me, come and get me. And, I mean, the injuries do not help. Like, his injuries do not help those numbers. One thing I've noticed is he plays a lot better at home in Charlotte. So if he actually plays, do you think that that, that home feel of the Rose Garden might do him a little, do him well? Because he's been playing much better at home than away. Yeah, Batum's a tough player to read. It could either spark him and he would have a huge game or he could just feel too much pressure and kind of, you know, not wilt under the pressure but shy away from it because he's been known to not shoot a whole lot and defer and maybe look to set up his teammates. So I could it's a flip of the coin, but regardless, I want this win, but I really want to see Batum play. You know, give him a nice standing ovation. I was never really his biggest fan, but he embraced the city. And if you embrace the city, you are already you know, on my list as a blazer for life. Mm -hmm. So I would love to give him a standing ovation. I know my mom loves him. Uh, My grandma loves him. 
it as a small market fan, it's always oh, I hope they like us. I hope they like the city. It's always a big thing with me being a, a fan of two small market teams. It's like oh, does he really like us or is he just saying it? So, but when they rep the city for you, it's you you're drawn to them. And they're brand ambassadors, yeah. and we love Portland. And it's so cool that Portland was never considered like a cool destination. But when they asked him, you know, what's what's your favorite thing about the city? He said the rain. Mm-hmm. Like that's awesome. Not many people would would say that. It's a a deterrent to most you know free agents that want to sign here. Like I don't want to play. It's raining. It's too small of a city. He really embraced Portland, and that was really cool. And he was a super nice guy. He was a great guy on and off the court, and. You know, I thank him for his time in Rip City, and that's why I really hope he plays. Also, because I think it will be, you know, a better game. Mm-hmm. Regardless, I got the Blazers in a route. I think they are going to beat the Kings, and they are going to continue that momentum on Friday night with you and me in the audience. There's no way they can lose. What say you, my friend? I mean, I've rooted for a lot of Hornet teams in the Rose Garden Moda Center, and they've always lost. So I, I think that, that we're going to keep that streak going with me watching Hornet teams lose. I want to see, I want to see Nick, but I also want to see Damian Lillard on the bench in the fourth quarter. Get a little, maybe Luis Montero, Cliff Alexander highlights. Just to see if those end of the bench guys are trivia questions or real players. Amen. Amen. Wrapping up this week, the trailblazers will take on the Minnesota Timberwolves on Sunday, and this is one team Portland just has their number. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter who's on the roster, whether there's a rhyme or reason, but whether it Portland in Portland, the Blazers are 41 and 11 all time. Since 07 08, when Garnett left for Boston, it's been 28 5 Blazers. So you look up having your number in the dictionary, and it's Blazers versus Wolves. I mean, already this year, the Blazers have taken two from Minnesota. Uh, both in Minneapolis. They won 106-101 on the 2nd of November. Dame had 34-7. and They backed it up with a 109-103 victory on the 5th of December. 47 bench points uh, You know, powered Portland to that victory. And what was interesting is Portland fell behind in the first half in both games by 17 points. How about we not fall behind by 17 points again this time, Sage? Especially since we're in, we'll be at the Rose Garden. I I would prefer not to see that. But they that team is kind of an enigma. You they, say they, you say an enigma, enigma, and I completely agree. What happened to them? I looked at their schedule. They were eight and eight on November twenty seventh. They're just six and twenty three in their last twenty nine games. They have a great rookie. They have the rookie of the year last year. I can't pin it, Sage. Why are they so terrible? Like, I think the Kevin Martin injury hurt a lot because he had a wrist and some other weird injuries, and it may it pushed Zach Levine into a different role that I don't think he's ready for, uh, being the lead guard off the bench. And then it's just all these players coming back that they have to reintegrate, like Peck's back, and he's a good enough player that you have to. Have have him on the court just because maybe someone will want that awful contract, but he deserves minutes. And then it's really weird coaching decisions like leaving Carl Anthony Towns off the 
putting him on the bench during crunch times for like 30 games. It's a lot of weird decisions, but I'm really rooting for that coach to get that job because he seems like a really nice guy. And, I mean, we take advantage of him pretty well. Yeah, I, I really think this is a game where Portland just has to show up. They're, they're flat out a better team. If they want this game, they can take it. Mm. It's as simple as that, in my opinion. Do you think they really want does do you think Minnesota really wants to win this? I don't think they have a winning culture there. No. I, I don't th- I don't think those young guys know how to win just yet and that's what you have to worry a little bit about. I mean, yes, they are in a fantastic position with with Wiggins and and Carl Anthony and possibly getting a top 4 draft pick. That's a great foundation. But even their veterans don't know how to win. I mean, yes, they have Garnett and I I know that completely contradicts anything everything I just said and I'm sure he's teaching them you know, everything he knows, but this is probably his last year. Uh, Tayshaun Prince might be his last year. I should say they're veterans who really contribute, like the Rubios and the Pekoviches. They don't know how to win. They've never been in the playoffs. Uh, Kevin Martin's not a winner. And so that's what I meant by that that previous statement, you know, excluding Garnett and, and, and Prince, because those are two of the all-time winners in this league. It's it's just it's just a weird team, and I think when you have young players who haven't experienced winning or don't know how to get to the playoffs or what that's like, you just accept losing, and you don't. I don't know. It, it's hard to say because the playoff basketball is so much different than regular season. We see it as fans; the intensity is up. Uh, the officials are you know calling it a little more hotly contested. The players take it to another level. Um, I still remember when the Blazers made that playoff run uh, in 08-09. It was the first time in six years making it. We had a young team with like Brandon and LaMarcus, and none of those guys had ever played the playoffs. That first game against Houston, we were stomped. And that set the tone for the entire series, and it was because we had no experience. I I think if the Wolves get a good pick this year, they really need to start winning. It's time for them to quit (laughs) with this tanking nonsense. You only have so many lottery picks on your team. You have to start putting them together and winning once in a while. I mean, star players and culture is so important in this league, and they don't have the other half of that. Maybe KG instills some of that knowledge in those young players' heads. But speaking of KG, I'm really curious to see who on this Blazer team he tries to mess with. Because when... I was watching them against the Pelicans. It was like his goal to mess with Ryan Anderson. Make him so irritated that he just has an awful game. Like he had it's, some... He had it's like got to be Noah, right? Oh, I was thinking Myers. But I don't think they're going to play at the same time, though. Maybe. I'm just thinking starter versus starter. So I think he sees Von Ley as this 20-year-old you know, pup out there. And he's like, oh, what can I do with this guy? He knows just the right ways to... And not be dirty, but be very intelligent just to mess with these young dudes. I've heard some rumors that he said some pretty dirty things. I mean, do we do we have to remember Honey Nut Cheerios? Okay, fair enough, but <laughs> maybe it's a different KG, but I respect him so much and I fear him so much, but I, I can't wait to see who he picks on. And you know, I hope he goes after Noah because I want to see how Noah reacts. Because if he just brushes it off, and doesn't let it affect his game. We know we got ourselves a you know a great young player, and and he you know succumbs to it. You know it's a learning it's a learning lesson, and he, nobody would blame him for doing that. But you know I think he's 
pretty low-key, doesn't talk too much. I would hope it wouldn't bother him um, at all, especially playing at home, already beating this team twice. I think Noah will, will be all right. I mean, he, he got Ryan Anderson more animated than I've ever seen him before. He'll, he clotheslined Ryan Anderson and made it look like Ryan Anderson fouled him, when in reality he just clotheslined the crap out of him. He, he's really good at uh, flustering young players and veterans at that. Like That that dude could be in the talking Olympics, honestly. Oh, he's all... All Hall of Famer, All NBA, First Team, All, All Trash Talk. I mean, he's up there with, with Gary Payton, Bird. I mean, Michael Jordan. I mean, all great trash talkers of the league. But looking at this game, who is an X factor that the Trailblazers have to keep their eye on? Well, I mean, it's got to be their young center, Carl Anthony Towns. He is impressing me every time I watch him. He does some really crafty moves to get space in the post, to play defense relatively well. He is the one person we really have to worry about. I think Al Farouk has a really good matchup against Wiggins, but we don't have anyone to stop Carl Anthony Towns. You know, Towns is definitely a good pick, but I'm going to go to the bench for mine. And it's a guy by the name of Shabazz Muhammad. He had uh, 25 points, got to the line eight times, off the bench in their five-point victory uh, this past weekend over the Memphis Grizzlies. And Muhammad is a big, big stocky guard who is a lefty that can score with his back to the basket. He has given Trailblazer guards fits uh, over the past couple years. And, you know, that's even with guys like Wesley Matthews and, and Nick Batum on him. You know, our guard's a little bit smaller, and if they want to feed him the ball down low, there's really not a damn thing the Blazers can do about it. So he presents a definite mismatch. However, you know, how, how many minutes will he get? It seems like the Timberwolves, they'll go to a player for a while, and they'll just forget about him. Mm. Again, it comes with losing. They don't really know how to win games. So I'm not too worried about it, but if the the Wolves are to make this competitive or even upset the Blazers, I think... Uh, Shabazz would have uh, a big hand in, in, in that outcome. So he's my X factor. But I actually categorized Tyreek was on the Kings and him now characterized them as rhinos because they're just so bulky and legs are just so powerful. So they kind of remind me of rhinos. If that helps anyone, I'm glad to share it. I mean, it definitely helped me, Sage. All right. So, yeah, I mean, I've got a, a big Blazer victory. I think it'll be uh, back-to-back blowouts. And it's a game where the Blazers, they, don't be afraid to trap, trap these Timberwolves. Uh, they don't shoot the ball from three very often. They only get 19% of their attempts from downtown. They're not a particularly great team from deep either. And as long as we can keep them off the foul line, uh, 21% of their total points come from the line, uh, which is most of the entire NBA. Portland does those two things. Force them to shoot threes, keep them off the foul line. That's a great recipe for a blowout victory in the Rose City with me and you and Olga in attendance. Like, does any of those players besides Kevin Martin scare you from three? Oh, not at all. I'd let Rubio shoot all day. Same with Wiggins. I mean, if he gets hot, you're going to have to do something about it, but... You make them prove it first, though. Exactly. No need to give them respect until they've earned it. So you going Blazer victory? Oh, yeah. It's a 3-0 and week for me. 3-0 and week for both of us. Look at us going... When we did the podcast yesterday, I did think the Kings will win, but 
when new information comes, you gotta use it to your advantage, and it's not like any of you guys would know, except I told you. All right, Sage, I think that about wraps it up. For everybody who would like to listen to this episode or previous episodes, find us on Stitcher and SoundCloud uh, at HolyBackboardPDX if you'd like to send us an email. Send it to HolyBackboardPDX at gmail.com. And, of course, give us a follow on Twitter at HolyBackboard. We love live tweeting games, non-games, whenever, just shooting the breeze with the best fans in the NBA. So for Dustin and Sage, thank you for listening. It is 1146 at night on Monday on Monday and uh you know I'm really tired but I had a blast recording this episode with you Sage uh have a good night go Blazers let's get these three wins rip city baby yep let's